The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So Ecclesia, today I want to invite you into a conversation that um, I'm really curious how many of you are already familiar with. How many in your own study or maybe in therapy have learned a little bit about your attachment style? Like how you attach to other people and your really Good, so a decent number of us. And a few of you, I'm just gonna give you a quick summary today. You, you may learn that for your own health, um, your experience, especially in childhood, of how you attach primarily first to your parents is really important, right? And if you're a dad at Ecclesia and I'm grateful we got new babies all around. Like I'm always telling dads like skin on skin, like put those babies on your chest and just bond with them and love them. And beautiful things happen when we attach, right, to our, our parents. But all of us have imperfect attachments, right? Because guess what? Your parents are imperfect and everybody around you is imperfect, right? And, uh, and you know, that's why I'm gonna pay for my kids' therapy later on and they get to go talk about, you know, how imperfect I am. And I get to talk about how imperfect my parents were. And I look back and like, well, their parents and their grandparents were even way more imperfect, right? So it feels like maybe we're getting a little healthier and a little better. But as you relate to attachment, there tend to be, um, there are really four, but three primarily that people fall into. First is a secure attachment, where you live in the kind of relationship where you go, I feel pretty secure. And you can be separated and you, you don't feel a ton of anxiety or you deal with that anxiety in a really healthy way. The second is, is an anxious attachment. So it means that you go through seasons, you could feel, maybe if you were, um, you think back to times maybe you were dating or even with a friend and you could feel that friend, you start spending a lot of time together and then they start to pull back, right? If you have an anxious attachment, you tend to start pursuing them. Like, hey, you hadn't texted me, like why didn't you text me, right? Anybody go on a couple dates and you just quickly are like, hey, wait, it's been three hours and I haven't heard from you yet. Like what's going on, right? That's an anxious attachment. Or there's this avoidant attachment. And um, when you're avoidantly attached, and by the way, some of us can flip back and forth between the two. Like you can find ways to repel people in every possible way. Um, so that's just, we can be ambidextrous in the ways that we repel people. Um, avoidant is like, I'm gonna reject you before you reject me. So anybody know, like, I do that. I do, anybody here like, yeah, I'm good at that. I will, I will literally pull away from you. So Ainsworth, one of the psychologists that was doing early studies on attachment, they would take babies and their moms, right? And they would separate them. And they found kind of three categories. There were babies that were securely attached, that were clearly anxious and upset when mom would leave, but they'd get over it and they'd move on. Mom would come back, they'd be thrilled to see mom. They would say, that would be a securely attached baby. Then there were these anxious babies um, that mom would leave and they would get upset. Mom would come back and they would still be upset, right? They'd still be angry, like, why'd you leave me? And are you gonna leave me again, right? And anybody that's had a kid knows like, yeah, I have kids that are that. The avoidant kids were like, mom left and I'm gonna act like I don't care, even though I do. I'm gonna play on my own and mom's gonna come back and I'm gonna ignore her and act like I didn't miss her or even notice she was gone, right? Some of you, like you're laughing because you know like that's what I do, I, I do that. And in the midst of all that, right, you start to wonder like what does it look like to be securely attached, because this is important in relationships, what does it mean in our relationship to God? 
Do you think God wants you to be securely attached? One of the other um, fascinating experiments to me that but, but feels almost cruel is they would have parents with their babies do what they call a still face experiment. Anybody remember reading about this? So parents would literally sit there with their kids, no expression at all. I mean, it would be as if you don't even know your kid, right? And kids would start to freak out because they're used to like complete attachment, right? And as the parent would do that, they would me- kids will melt down, right? Where are you and why aren't you connected with me? And I realized when I was walking through reading about that experiment that many of us feel like that with God. Like we go through times and seasons where we wonder like, God, are you with me? Are you listening? Are you here? And because we can't always see God's presence in the moment, we feel detached. Christmas is about God's attachment with us, right? If you wonder, does God want you to be securely attached? He came and said, I'm Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? His teaching over and over and again with the disciples is about, I'm going to not, even when I leave you, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to send my spirit and now dwell within you. And in the Gospel of John, he starts teaching about the vine and the branches and say, we are always connected, And I got to tell you, if you feel securely attached, beautiful things begin to happen. You may have heard me tell this story before because it was a pivotal one for me. But I was 16 when this came, um, became clear to me in a relational way. Um, I was living with my grandparents for the summer and I had bought a fabulous Honda Civic for $250 and it wouldn't start that morning. And I was working as a lifeguard at the Atascacita Country Club and I would have to drive all the way across town and it wouldn't start. And my grandfather had the first new car he's ever had in my life and experience with him. And he said, take my car. It was long, like a boat, the Oldsmobile 98. And I remember driving this new car and feeling so panicked, but I drove all the way there. I worked, everything went great. I drove all the way home, things went great. I don't know exactly what happened to this day. I think I might've been paying attention to the stereo, but somehow I brought the house and the car together, right? This is my grandfather's like most valuable possession. And I like, you know, and I clipped the faucet on the way, right? So literally I have a long dent down the car and water is spraying everywhere. And my grandfather is this big, intimidating, he was a Baptist preacher. And I, I'll never forget calling him and just like, I said, Pop, can you come home? And would you bring a plumber if you can find one, right? And I, that's all I said. And I just, I, he came home and I was standing in the driveway, anybody have those moments where I'm looking at my hands and I'm like, I want it to stop shaking, but it wouldn't. And I feel him coming in on me as I just stand there, water spraying, car dented. And I'll never forget to this day, it may be my most vivid memory of feeling my grandfather's big hand on the back of my neck, right? And he leaned in and he he said, son, it's okay. He said, it's just a thing. And in that moment, I knew for sure that my grandfather loved me more than he loved the car. And I gotta tell you, I wish, and I, and I had to tell him like, it's not just one thing, it's the house and the car actually. It's, <laughs> it's two things that I managed to damage. And you know what I do sometime? I did it about a month ago. I drive over to that house, it's in Inwood Forest. You still see the long streak <laughs> along the brick where the car just took a nice chunk out of the brick. 
We don't own it anymore, but it's, it's still there. And when I do, I'm, I'm reminded and I really believe, I, I wish I hadn't done it, but I will tell you, I, I tell my kids, I don't know if I would have done the things that I have done if I hadn't had that experience and it became so clear to me that I was loved no matter what. And I, I started a church when I was 23 on my credit card. Like who does that, right? Nobody does. I started a church in Montrose in 1999. Nobody wanted to start Christian churches in Montrose. But I literally, I believe in my head, something clicked and I realized like, it doesn't matter if I fail, they love me anyway. And if you were to feel truly loved by God, by your partner, by your family, if you live in that space, you can do anything. And what I want you to hear today is the story of Christmas is about God saying to you, I want you to feel securely attached to me. I'm not going anywhere. What's he say? I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved. And the Christmas story is about God entering the world so he can say face to face to all of us, I want to show you how much I love you. And whatever you face in life, it will be us together facing it. And I believe, Ecclesia, if we believe that in our core, that beautiful things will begin to happen. I started getting really excited about this idea of like, what if I apply attachment theory and the things I've learned in therapy? Because in relationships, this is a problem, by the way, for many of us. Like we do a dance. Anybody realize in your, in your relationships, you do this dance and it's this pull away and pursue and it's all of this and it gets to be really destructive at times. And I thought, I'm going to write a book about attachment theory in our relationship with God. And then I Googled it and somebody else wrote the dang book. And, um, <laughs> and this Crispin Mayfield and it's beautiful. And I started reading it. And it's an invitation to heal the places that you may be insecurely attached so that you live in that security. And I'm only six chapters in and I love it. And so if it's helpful for you, um, read it. I wanna just share with you a few truths about the love of God that are illustrated clearly in the Christmas story and remind us who we're made to be. And here's the first, that this love that God gives to us, it's not like other loves. It's not transactional. It's, it's not this. How many of you right now have extra gifts for no one that you've set aside for somebody that gives you a gift that you didn't anticipate so that you have a quick gift to give back to them, right? And, and it's this, they gave me a Lifesaver book. I need to give them this, right? And by the way, I love Lifesaver books. That is one of the coolest gifts you could ever get. You can just grab them at Walgreens. Butter rum. Anybody else like that's the flavor of childhood for me. The, 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 just this, this gift giving is like, you give to me, I give to you. That, like that's not a gift. Most of what we experience in life is not transactional. It is transactional and God says, I love you no matter what. In Luke 6, Jesus describes this most clearly and this is what he says. He says, listen, what's the big deal if you love people who already love you? Now think about this in the context of Christmas. Even scoundrels or unbelievers do that much. So what if you do good to those who do good to you, right? He says that's just an exchange. Even scoundrels or unbelievers do that much. What if you lend to people who are likely to repay you? Even scoundrels or unbelievers lend to those that they think will be fully repaid. If you want to be extraordinary, Jesus says, 
Love your enemies. Do good without restraint. What's he saying? To everyone. Lend with abandon. And don't expect anything in return. Ecclesia, that's Christian love. He says, then you'll receive the truly great reward. You'll be children of the Most High, for God is kind to the ungrateful and those who are wicked. So imitate God and be truly compassionate the way your Father is. Ecclesia, Christmas love ought to extend to everyone, and that means people that it's impossible to pay us back. It's the reason every week I keep telling you, the best gifts you can give at Christmas are anonymous. Nobody knows who gave it to them, and it messes with their head. I'm just telling you, people don't know what to do with anonymous gifts. You give one to your neighbor, and they literally are just freaking out. They're like, who gave that to me, and I don't know. They feel like they're being stalked. It's really fun. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, pick your grumpiest neighbor. Everybody's got a grumpiest neighbor. Give them a really big gift card, and watch. They're going to they're gonna walk around just like, hey, I don't... All of a sudden, they've got to be nice because they don't know who gave it to them. They've got to be nice to everybody. <laughs> Anonymous gifts are beautiful. They're uniquely Christian. Secondly, know this about Christian love. It's a love that threatens traditional boundaries. As Jesus was saying, everybody loves the people that loves them. You love your people, your family, your tribe, your ethnicity. Jesus says, no, in fact, this is the basis of Christian love. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, there are those that, and there's a lot in the Bible that's confusing. I've got a son right now that's sending me like all the difficult passages in the Bible and like, all right, dad, explain that one, right? And I'm like, dude, you got the wrong dad. This is easy for me, okay? Like other dads are freaking out. Like, I got this. But I gotta tell you, you know what I love about the Bible? There's a lot that's not clear. We don't know. You know what's most clear to me in the Bible? Love the foreigner and the stranger. It says it over and over again in the Bible. You know what's most clear in our culture? Be afraid of the foreigner or the stranger. That's the rhetoric you hear over and over and over again. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, I don't care how you vote, I care how you live. Now you ought to also care how you vote, by the way. That's up to you but I care about how you live. And the reality that politicians today think they gain traction by using people as props and sending a plane load of Venezuelans to Martha's Vineyard is the most unchristian thing I've ever heard of in my life. I've spent a lot of time over the last few years at the Venezuela border where people come and we serve them a meal and they say literally, I have not seen meat in months. Now, if you're a vegetarian, you may think that's a good thing, but for most of us, I don't like to go hours without seeing meat. Like I need to see meat every other hour. Even if I don't eat it, just to see it reminds me it exists. Literally, my wife comes in and she'll see me. This exposes my heart too much, I shouldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I will go to the Perry's website and look at their pork chop. <laughs> and she comes in, she's like, it looks like you're looking at me. Like I don't really, like I just, God, I love that pork chop. It is so, it's so good. I, I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, the scriptures are clear. In Leviticus, it says it this way. Don't take advantage of any stranger. The word is foreigner, stranger, immigrant. 
who lives in your land. Now, what does that mean? That means no matter your status, you get paid a fair wage. You must treat the outsider as one of your native-born people. Anybody think you put native-born people on a plane and send them somewhere as a prop? Right? As a full citizen, the scripture says, and you're to love him or her in the same way you love yourself. For remember, you were once strangers living in Egypt. I am the eternal one, your God. Ecclesia, our love at Christmas has to extend to all people. Now, if I was preaching at some small little church in Wisconsin, we might just be like, well, there's just a bunch of uh, other people that look just like us here. This is the gift. You live in Houston, Texas. If you want to love an immigrant, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you go, you've got the opportunity to show love and kindness to people that are new to this country. We've got a partnership with Houston Loves Refugees. I I was walking in... uh, I live in Sharpstown, and I've learned like the, when you have a defunct mall, it just attracts all kinds of things. There's an Afghani meetup that happens in the Sharpstown parking lot. And I just started going and meeting Afghan. All the cars pull in, kids start playing on the gravel, adults start talking, right? Where else in the world do you have an Afghani meetup in a parking lot, right? And I'm figuring out their rhythms. It doesn't really make sense to me, but sometimes it'll be Tuesday, sometimes it'll be Thursday. I don't know if they have an alert system, if somebody makes a little yodel or something, but everybody knows and they go and they, they gather and everybody brings some food and they sit in the parking lot and they get to know each other. You don't have to be a genius in this city to love an immigrant as you love yourself. This is the call of Christmas. I hope you find a way, be creative and live into that path. Thirdly, The great thing about the love of God is that it never quits and it never keeps score. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have a relationship with someone, imagine this. You got a parent, a partner, a sister, a brother, a friend, and they forget every bad thing you've ever done and they only see your strengths. That's a great friend, right? If you got a friend like that, that, they would be your friend forever. Now, some of us are like, I want a partner like that, right? And the scripture says, then be a partner like that. Then be a partner that sees the strengths, that sees the gifts and forgets the failures. In Psalm 103, the psalmist says it this way, and this is how God li- lives as an example of that love for us. It says, measure how high heaven is above the earth. He's saying, that's, that's, where, that's God, the equivalent of God's love. God's wide, loving, kind heart is greater for those who revere him. You see, God takes all our crimes, all our sins, all our failures, our seemingly inexhaustible sins, and removes them. As far as the east is from the west, he removes them from us. An earthly father expresses love for his children. It is no different with our heavenly father. The eternal shows his love for those who revere him. Ecclesia, let's do our best in this season to love the way that our God loves. And you know what that means? I told you last week, like everybody's got somebody in their family who doesn't contribute anything to the food and also doesn't wash the dishes. Everybody, right? They're there so we can extend love to them. Everybody's got somebody that's challenging. 
And we get to be the people that say, regardless of the ways that you failed me in the past, I forget about it. And I love you anyway. And I lean into that love. Lastly, and then I want to share a story with you and we'll come to communion. The love of God is a love unlike our love because it's a love that's willing to be vulnerable. Isn't it hard to fathom loving someone that you know will hurt you? You know 100% they're going to hurt you. Christ entered the world knowing that we would experience hurt and pain. And the gift for us today, right? Even on a day with the World Cup, I joked with you at the beginning of the service, like, Half the world, do we have a score update at all? It's a shootout right now. It's, it's three to two. Argentina's up. They just won. Argentina won. If you're French. If you're French, get over yourself, have some cheese. Drink some wine, you'll be okay. I was concerned, literally Argentina is one of our favorite countries in the world and they are so passionate. I'm like, if they lose after being up two to nothing, they will burn the whole country down. It would be, I'm just telling you, people would get hurt. So thank God, everything's okay. This is what, this is the challenge of Christian love, whether it's a soccer game or it's real life, right? It's figuring out how do we mourn with people that mourn and how do we celebrate with people that celebrate? It's the most confusing mandate in scripture, and yet it's the thing that mo- makes us most uniquely the church. I wanna share with, the, with you the story, uh, a story from Uganda. This is our brother and sister, John and Viviana. And as you enter into their suffering and the ways that as we engage, and this is what I wanna invite you to do, the clearest ask I have for you this Christmas is to make your most significant gift to Jesus And as we give that gift, Jesus said, if you want to give to me, you give to the least of these. And he said, literally, if you give water to those in my name, it's as though you gave it to me. And I believe it's the most important crisis, the most significant crisis in the world. This story of John and Viviana offers beautiful context. This is a a region in in Uganda that I've traveled uh, to before. These are some beautiful, unique systems that are not just... You won't see it all in this video, but it's not just a water well. It's a complex system that gathers spring water and sends it to multiple uh, communities. But hear the story of John and Viviana, and then we'll contemplate how we can respond and take communion together. Scripture says that in life, There's a time and a season for everything. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to grieve and a time to celebrate. My husband John and I have so much to be thankful for. It was not always this way. For years, my family suffered without safe water. Every day, our children would walk to collect water but it was not safe to drink. Because of this, our nine-month-old son, Joshua, became sick with typhoid and died. After three difficult years, we suffered another tragedy. I was in the garden with my wife when we sent our 10-year-old daughter to fetch water 
from the open world. She made this journey with friends every day. But this day, she went alone. After two hours, we began to worry, and John went to look for her. I couldn't believe it when I saw her lifeless body floating on top of the water. Our family was never the same again. We felt like we could not carry the weight of our sadness. Over the next 10 years, we had to sell our cattle and all our crops died because we didn't have enough water. We lost everything and we worried about what the future held for our family. But when we had the good news that Living Water was bringing water to our district, Viviana smiled again for the first time in many years. Now safe water runs from the hills above us into a tap near our home, serving our community and many others. Living Water shared stories from the Word of God and taught us how to practice healthier habits. I joined the Water Committee and began to help my neighbors construct their own latrines. I have seen John grow in leadership in our church and community. I'm so proud of him and the work he does to honor the lives of the children we lost. Using water from the tap, I was able to build my family a new home and plant coffee, bananas, and passion fruit. Passion fruit was my daughter's favorite fruit, and we grow it on the land where she died in her memory. Because the farm has grown, we have been able to employ seven women from our community. With the money we earn from the coffee, we can now pay for our children to go to school. I no longer fear for their safety, and the diseases we used to struggle with are gone. lives have completely changed financially and spiritually since Living Water came to help us. Thank you for bringing life back to my family. We have spent so many years in grief. This is our time to rejoice. I love, I've watched this video more than a few times. Uh, those are smiles um, that are contagious. Right? I can see uh, my hope and prayer for every one of us is that we would participate in this gift to Jesus at Christmas. I'll be honest, there's a lot that we do in this season that doesn't make any sense. 
We give a lot of gifts to each other that never get touched. You got things you gave to people last year that have never been opened or used. And as we look at the problems of the world and, and John and Viviana's story, can you imagine losing one child because of your lack of access to water, much less two? And there's two ways to see the world. And I want to invite you to contemplate how you see it and act in response to it. One is that God made the world broken and unjust. And it just is. The second option, and it's the one that's presented in the New Testament, is that God gave the world everything we need to care for everyone. He just trusted that those that had extra would use this mechanism called the church to share that extra so that everybody had enough. God set up the world so that we had the pleasure because it doesn't matter who you are. You're a part of being the wealthiest people on the planet. And in that place, we get to share our extra in a way that balances the scales. And I've seen it in this area in Uganda and all across the globe that our gifts at Christmas truly transform. My hope and prayer is that your most significant gift is to Jesus and that everybody in our community participates. So when you come to communion today, we've got the baskets out for our offering for clean water. We'll be gathering those up until Christmas Eve. And my hope and prayer is that everybody participates in a way that at the end of it, I can promise you, I've never through all our years of doing this had anybody come back and be like, you know what, I want my money back. I really feel like drilling those water wells was kind of a waste. Like nobody's ever done that. Now, many of us have said like, I don't even know how much I spent on Amazon when I was up too late buying ridiculous things because they were on sale. We go, I don't know that that's, that's the best way to celebrate. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.